The households which are making the biggest effort to fund the energy transition today are the poorest ones. Her name is Annette Janssen. She's a consumer rights advocate. This is Net Zero, a podcast by the Florence School of Regulation about the energy transition and climate change. I am Joanna Freitas, and in this series, I'm inviting myself into the minds of some truly insightful people with very different perspectives. We will be discussing what is happening across Europe, what are the challenges for utilities, what will be the benefits for the environment, and ultimately for citizens. Today, we are joined by Annette Janssen, Secretary General of NEON, the European Network of Dispute Resolution Bodies in the Energy Sector, to discuss the role of consumers in the energy transition. Annette, thank you for joining us. Thank you. What do consumers of electricity really want? What are the main issues that consumers look at? And do they vary across different European countries? Yeah, so I guess this is what everyone wants to know. We all ask ourselves what consumers want. So I would say as a first note, I guess consumers are a very heterogeneous group. So it's different people, different ideas. I think in the energy sector, sometimes a bit too simplistic, I think. We just talk about, you know, vulnerable consumers and then we have... I don't know, more active consumers, less active consumers, but that's it. I think there's much more variety and this is the first thing. Then, well, it's also, this is also a question we ask ourselves as dispute resolution bodies. So to know how we can help consumers better, because our work is not just solving disputes, it's also informing consumers, which is something which is, is quite important. So when we look at the complaints our members receive, most are about billing, metering and tariffs. What does it mean? So basically people, they start complaining or what they want, what, what we see is they just want to be sure they're paying a fair price. So something quite basic, which means, well, they want a reliable service. <laughs> it's, it's quite basic, but I think that this is it. And then we should also not forget that energy is an essential service. So it's not just any kind of good. It's really something which allows us to do things. So without energy, we cannot do much. And this is why we would say what is important as well is, is that it's affordable for everyone. And here again, we all know that that this is becoming an increasing issue. So, yeah, I would say there are these two things. So reliable service at an affordable price. Consumers often want contradictory things. They want a quick transition to renewables. They want low prices of electricity, as you've mentioned. They don't want to pay for a grid they are not using, but they also want the assurance that the lights can be turned on all the time. How do you see consumers prioritizing clean energy versus low prices? So, <laughs> uh, again, well, just start with the thing that yeah, consumers are not all equal. And then I think we, shouldn't, we should not confuse or mix up low prices with affordability. I, I don't think this is the same. We can talk about it a bit later if you want, especially, I mean, when we talk about taxes. So basically to say, yeah, consumers are not equal. And the issue here is that maybe not everyone is, is paying or making the same efforts. But to come back to your question, another observation is I'm not sure that renewable energies should be or is in contradiction necessarily with low prices, especially if you look at wholesale markets. And again, I would say the question is really who, who pays for it. So, so yeah, I don't really see actually a, a contradiction. If, if you look at, you know, renewables and how they work between renewables and the and price. So again, I think it's who, who's paying the price. This is the real question. 
But yeah, and if you ask me for for a contradiction, maybe the biggest contradiction I would see is actually not not the price we're paying, but the efforts we have to make. So, changing our behavior. I think this this will be the major contradiction if we want to adapt the, to a system which which is based on renewables. And you touched on taxis and levies, and tax is still a very significant part of the electricity bill in Europe. For example, according to uh, Eurostat in 2018. Taxes and levies were more than half of the retail electricity bill in Denmark, Portugal, Slovakia, Austria, Sweden, France, and Latvia. Do you see the share of taxes in the electricity bill going down? <laughs> Honestly, I, I think, I mean, no one can say this. Why? Because it's a political decision. <laughs> mm -hmm. So it's... Um, Well, you know, of course, if you look now from the, you look at the transition from feed and tariffs to, to tenders, you could say, okay, yeah, I guess they will. I mean, it's still too early, I think, to say, but some, some, some things seem to show that they will. But again, I, I think this is mostly a political decision, especially if we talk about taxes such as VAT, for example, or, mm -hmm. or others. But do you think there's a case to reduce that weight on the electricity bill and instead use, for example, general state budget resources to fund some of the costs of the transition, for example, the costs of decommissioning of nuclear and coal-fired plants and other costs that are expected to be, to be coming up? Well, yes, I think there's definitely a case. So again, uh, this is really my personal opinion because I think it's, it's really a political decision or political debate which i think is needed and is is not happening so but yeah so actually just as a background you know what we see from our work and from our being in touch with consumers is that many people don't understand actually why they need to pay all those taxes and so because we always talk about energy and people think okay i'm just paying you know the the energy which is produced but then they see their bill and then there's this more than more than half is actually nothing has nothing to do with the energy production so this is the first thing and then i mean we shouldn't forget that actually so taxes and and energy bills are not progressive so meaning you get the same bill independently of your of your revenue and the same goes with i mean vat of course you have i mean other kind of taxes but vat is really the not progressive tax so and What does it mean that in the end, the, well, the, the, the households which are making the biggest effort to fund the energy transition today are the poorest ones. Yeah. So, and, and I, I think this can explain as well the, a bit the, the opposition we, we sometimes see to, to renewable energy because, uh, yeah, this is something which is not really explained. You know, people think, okay, I'm paying more because the energy is more expensive, <laughs> but this is not the question. The question is, yeah, again. So who pays for it? So I think there's definitely a case for it. And as even, I mean, several researchers, I mean, there's, I think, one a research from the UK Energy Research Center who says it, it would be fairer to fund the transition through the state budget, for example, and also by making other yeah, actors contribute. So not just consumers, but also, you know, big companies and so on. So yes. you've mentioned a couple of times there is not so much about the amount of cost, but how you distribute that cost mm and the different actors and participants. So if not consumers, then who, in your view, should be supporting a, a bigger load than they're doing today? Well, I think it can still be consumers because companies, of course, they, they also consume. Although this is a question because now, I mean, we see that more and more companies um, going into power purchase agreements or just having their own installations. So, I mean, 
yeah, it's basically it's the, the energy is cheaper for them. So, um, but again, yeah, I think it, it it should still be consumers, but again, in a more progressive way or something which is more adapted to their earnings or to their wealth. And of course, this is how, you know, the general taxation system, income tax works. So I, I think this this would be more the, the way to go. Something where one idea really simple would be, okay, you know, that um, poorer households are maybe, and this is already done in some countries where poorer households pay less taxes actually on the bill. So and that, that this is generalized and that maybe people who are richer or has more, have more resources pay more. So this would, I think, make sense. <laughs> mm -hmm. So these days we hear a lot how the energy market is moving from a supply-led system to a consumer-centric system. What does this really mean and what are the concrete steps you see towards it, if any? So I will be provocative here <laughs> because actually if you look at the current system where we have a system where the, the supply is, is adapting to the demand, I mean, I can't see anything more consumer-centered than what you have now. And when you look at the energy transition, so actually, what is it? It's the consumer needs to adapt to the supply, so the other way around. <laughs> so I, actually, what I would say, it's, it's maybe this consumer-centric approach or this terminology is slightly misleading. <laughs> I, I was thinking on, you know, how could you... I, you know, how could you call this? Instead, I would say maybe it would be better to call it consumer dependent, but it doesn't sound doesn't sound really good. It's not really motivating or enticing. So yeah, for the steps, well, I, I think there's we still need to do a lot that uh, yeah that this happens because again, I, I think you know we have now we have with the clean energy package and uh, we have everything in place. Let's say more or less from a legal point of view, but. I'm not sure people are are, are on board <laughs> uh, yet to to kind of take the step. You mentioned the clean energy package, and this is interesting that it's the first legislative European package that actually mentions citizens in its name. You know, it's clean energy for all Europeans. How do you feel that the content of the clean energy package answers consumers' concerns? So I think, I mean shouldn't be always too negative. So of course the clean energy package is great when it comes to consumer rights and protections. So, I mean, I mean, this, you will have heard it and, but you know, we should get more frequent bills based on actual consumption. This is excellent because this is still one of the biggest issue our members see as well and biggest points of controversy. Uh, faster switching, uh, there's a greater attention and yeah, there's legislation for the first time on bundled offers, which will be, one of the issues of the future, there's the right to self-consume, right to having, you know, smart meters, aggregation contracts, and so on. So this is really positive. But then again, uh, what we see, there are also some loopholes. So we started looking at actually, so how to legally frame everything, which is uh, collective self-consumption. And there we saw that, well, actually, if you look at things like peer-to-peer -peer trading, which is just right now starting, so it's, it's most research projects, but it could kind of take off quite fast or platforms, or even dynamic contracts. So the provisions which we have now are not extremely strong, let's say, and, and this could create issues and, and maybe a loss of trust or, you know, or, or hinder people from, from actually participating in the market. So, well, but we need to see how, how this goes and how, mm -hmm. how it's transposed as well. 
uh, by member states. What obstacles would have to be removed so that some of these elements that have been safeguarded in the clean energy package to become a reality? (laughs) Well, as I said, it's good to have the right to self-consume and self-produce and so on. But Again, I think we we kind of what we're missing is a bit stronger legal provisions on certain in certain areas. You mean at the national level? Uh, well, you know, for now, if you, for example, at peer to peer trading, it would be civil law which applies. Right. So this is, of course, national level, and it's it's quite complex because normally to interpret this, you really need a lawyer. And yeah, I'm, I'm not sure this will really help. But okay, maybe 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 we are wrong, <laughs> and then. Come back to the the debate about like the words we use and the debates we're having and how we frame this the debate around the energy transition. I think what is needed is a bit more of you know like we we need we need to be honest. I think and so I give you example the example of what we looked at is smart meters. So as you know, uh, smart meters are being rolled out in many countries and there is a lot of bad press in certain, especially in France, for example. But, I mean, it changes a bit from one country to another, but general people don't really, are not so favorable to smart meters. And we started looking at it. And and what we found by looking at the complaints we get and and the questions is that not that people have like an inherent opposition to smart meters, you know, it's more that they don't, they don't see the benefits. Uh, They just don't see them. So, so I think this is, this is the big issue now that to unlock all this potential, we will need offers. We will need, you know, mm-hmm. ways to benefit from the technology and mm-hmm. so on. So, mm-hmm. yeah. Let's let's uh, dive a little bit deeper on the smart meter and the data issues that come with it. So, as you were saying, as smart meters and smart grids are becoming the norm, there will be an ever greater amount of granular consumer data available. And this data will potentially offer opportunities to both better serve consumers but also it will create new commercial opportunities. Do you believe that consumers will forego their energy data privacy in return for tailored near-free services, as is the case with internet use, for example? Well, again, you know, we do not deal with data protection complaints. So, <laughs> However, as I said, we, we looked at the smart meter issue because it's, it's one of the big things now. And again, uh, I don't think there is an in- inherent opposition of people towards smart meters or, or you know, and all the challenges and all the issues which are linked to them. It's more that, again, people don't really see why why they should have a smart meter. Actually, I think, you know, if you look at other markets which have kind of uh, rolled them out in a, in a quite extensive way, so for example, the UK, the UK is a really good example because they have also a really specific way of rolling them out where it's a supplier, it's not the TSO and so on. And there we see that people actually ask for smart meters. <laughs> well, this is just to say that I think, yes, consumers would give away some data or not, not that they would give away data, but they would be less worried once they see they get a benefit out of it. But again, there are not many markets where they, people can actually have a benefit right now. And then just to say, yeah, I, I mean, this is a whole different debate, but we shouldn't repeat the mistakes of the internet in the smart meter or the energy um, fields. This will not help anyone. I think we still need to, I mean, think about data protection and so on. But yes, I think people will be much happier to kind of participate or to allow access to their data once they know for what it is and that it's it's helping them as well or it's helping the environment. I want to talk about consumer communities for a moment. Can you tell us how electricity consumer communities are developing 
and changing the system dynamics in Europe and what needs to happen for them to become more prevalent? So again, communities, well, it's it's something we, as I said, we worked on a bit already. Well, actually, I think that we need to look at this also from a legal perspective where you see two types of cases. So you have everything which is, which is now called the citizens, energy communities, which are normally cooperative. So it's a, it's quite similar to a traditional supplier. So there's not, you know, nothing really different except from the part where consumers need to buy a share to, to be part of it. And this, I think, I mean, it will develop definitely because sometimes, you know, what what people pay is, you know, they they get they get additional benefits. Uh, the bill might be a bit lower, but again, I think it will de- develop. Then we have the other part, which is, you know, everything which is outside of a well-known legal structure or company structure. So yeah, trading, informal exchange uh, platforms, and. There, again, I'm not sure. I, I think it, for now, if we look at it, again, from, from, from the risks a consumer would go into when engaging in this, to me, it looks more like a geeky thing. So I'm not sure how many people will, will engage in that. So without knowing actually what it is, what's, what's the, what are the consequences when something goes wrong? And so actually, you need a whole lot of knowledge to participate in this. Um, yeah, I'm not really sure about this other kind of forms of exchange. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so you don't see a big role of this in the near future? Uh, no, not not really. So, of course, then you also have companies backing this. So maybe this can give some additional security. But for now, I'm not sure. I'm not sure consumers will be willing to engage in. I mean, again, this also changes from one country to another. I think it's not just. We shouldn't also. We should also not just focus on consumers. It's also citizens. So if you look, for example, at in Germany, at Germany, there there has been a big citizen energy movement. I guess because of, you know, I don't know, uh, historical, cultural reasons. But again, this is not in all countries. So I'm, yeah, I am not sure (laughs) how this will go forward. And now to close our interview, I would like to ask you some rapid fire questions that you can answer with one or two words or take a wild guess. Zero carbon Europe by 2050, myth or reality? I would say myth for now. The future of storage, batteries or power to gas? Let's say both, everything which is good and yeah, can help, it's good. What year will see the last internal combustion engine vehicle sold in Europe? I wish I knew. <laughs> I, I would like to say tomorrow, but we're not there yet. What will be the percentage of power generated by prosumers in 2050? Again, difficult to say, but let's let's be optimistic here. I would say 50%. The main challenge for utilities in the next decade is... Keeping their customers. And our final question. Do you believe that the Paris Agreement goal of keeping the increase in global average temperature to well below 2 degrees above pre-industrial levels will be attained? And if yes, by what date? I'm sorry to say no. I don't think so, especially if we do not get everyone on board. So, yeah. Annette, thank you very much for your time. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this episode of Net Zero. If you like us, you can subscribe to our Florence School of Regulation podcast on iTunes or SoundCloud and sign up to our newsletter.